you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast. At Mastermind Parenting, we're on a mission to support strong-willed kids and the families that love them. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 182. Hi, guys. How are you this week? This week, I am still looking at some of the Google searches that people typically put in, and one of them that I think a lot of you are putting in tips for disciplining a difficult child. So what constitutes a difficult child? I think we kind of need to start with that. And like, that's even a hard thing to say because nobody wants to call their kid difficult, right? But when we're Googling things, I like speaking to things that we're Googling because it's just like cutting through the noise and, and we don't have to be all PC. It's like, we're looking for solutions. We have a kid that's struggling. Our household feels anything but peaceful. We have a dream that we want our kid to be at peace. We want a calm environment. We want that household that maybe we desired growing up. Like we have all these hopes and dreams. And so when we go to Google, you know, I, I did this yesterday. Me and my husband were I don't know. He loves to like act like a know-it-all about stupid things. And so I always look at a light when I need to sneeze. And uh, and he was looking at me. But if anybody looks at me, then I get self-conscious and then I can't sneeze. And so it always screws it up for me. So anyway, I was in my kitchen. I was looking up at the light, trying to sneeze. And he was like staring at me. And then the sneeze was gone. And so I'm like, why are you looking at me when I'm trying to sneeze? Because I was annoyed with him. And he's like, Everyone knows that looking at a light makes you not sneeze. And I was like, that is not true. That's not, he's like, everyone knows that. <laughs> he says it like with so much conviction. And I'm like, that's not even true. He's like, yes, it is. So of course I go, I pull out my phone and I'm like, I Googled, does looking at a light make you sneeze? Right? Like we put the thing in Google that's just like the exact thing without trying to sound smart or without trying to sound too PC. I just wanted to know who was right. Does looking at a light make you sneeze? So it's just literal. What constitutes a difficult child? Give me some tips for disciplining my difficult child, right? I'm not going to be PC about it. This is difficult. This situation is difficult. This child's difficult. Maybe I had a dream that I was going to have a really easy kid and I was going to look like the world's greatest parent. And now I have this child before me who is difficult and I need to figure out a better way because what's happening right now is not working. And so let's talk about what constitutes a difficult child. And then I'm going to give you guys 
some helpful tips. Okay, so I went to the internet and I found a scenario by a mom and this is what she wrote. She said, my daughter had a therapist a year ago who said she had oppositional defiant tendencies. I've gone back and forth about whether I believed that label, but the last month has been hard, hard in all caps. I rattled off the list of oppositional defiant behaviors to my daughter today and she was like, yep, 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 I do that too. I was angry. Her behaviors make our lives hell. After we talked, she said, but I don't know how to fix it. I believe her. She doesn't know how to fix it. I don't know how to fix it. We made a list of the oppositional defiant traits and talked about what she could do to replace those behaviors. I don't know if it will help, but I honestly can't live like this anymore. Okay. So this was in one of those groups that doesn't have like a me facilitating it. So it's just like a bunch of moms talking back and forth, which I think it's, it's kind of a danger zone because then you just get a lot of different opinions and, and maybe you might think it's helpful, but when we're in a state of overwhelm and we're dealing with something as troubling as having a difficult child that possibly has this oppositional defiant label, which for the record, I hate that label because I think it quite often categorizes kids as like, yep, these are the kids that can't be helped. I feel like it's a label that gives up on kids and I just hate this label anyway. And so what I notice in a lot of these groups, when somebody puts out something they're struggling with, you know, you have the parents that show up and they're empathetic. Yeah, me too. It's hard. I'm, you know, yeah. Solidarity. Right. So at least you get the message of I'm not alone. But again, this mom is like, okay, great. My kid wants to fix it. She doesn't know how. I want to help her fix it. I don't know how. I need useful information. I've already been going to all of the traditional professionals. They're giving me this label and they're not telling me what to actually do. So can somebody just give me some solutions? And so, you know, without a proper facilitator, it seems like quite often people just end up, they end up more confused and maybe even more overwhelmed and Also, it might be kind of like, oh, so it's like I'm now in this group with all these other parents that got the short end of the stick with these difficult children and their solidarity and knowing that I'm not the only one, but it's sort of like almost like bonding over our shortcomings, bonding over getting a difficult child. I just want y'all to think about that thought right like if you're if you're feeling like you just want to bond with other parents who also were given the child that they didn't fantasize about it's like what we focus on grows and so now it feels like victim mentality to me and it feels like why is everyone else's life so easy like why do i always have such bad luck and now you have all of that attached to this child that you had, like, how do you think it feels to be that kid? Every child is a precious gift and the difficult ones, they're trying to tell us there. It's exactly what this mom's saying is like in her child's old enough that she can even express. If I knew how to fix it, I would, I don't know how to fix it. Like these kids act on the outside the way they feel on the inside. So they don't want to be seen as a burden 
They want to be seen as a human and they want us to realize they were given to us for a reason. They are calling us to more. We have to play detective. We have to not make their behavior mean something about us. Like they are this conduit into a lot. Having a child that most people identify as difficult or a child whose behavior is making your life way more difficult, it is not for the wimpies. It's not. I mean, you have to dig in and become a really strong human. You have to become kind of a badass. You have to learn how to have boundaries, which most women have no clue how to have. Like, it's not an option not to. Like, these kids need that level of structure and leadership in their lives. So they call us to more. And if we see them as a burden instead of this conduit into tremendous growth for ourselves, and if we bond with other parents over, oh, yeah, I got one of those two, I got one of those two, I got one of those two then we feel victimized. And in some ways we see our kids as our villain. And then our kids see themselves as the villain. It's a terrible way to live for all of us. Okay. And this mom says, I honestly can't live like this anymore. I get it. It is a terrible way to live. So let me read some of the responses. So y'all kind of know what I'm talking about. So this response I actually thought was decent. This one mom says, Yeah, we thought my kid had ODD, but it was ADHD with anxiety, which for the record, I think everyone I know has had a kid that's gotten diagnosed with ADHD with a side of anxiety, mine too, which wasn't even the truth. I think that is a very, very common diagnosis that's been going around now for the last couple of decades. And years later, high functioning spectrum. So he was, it was ADHD with anxiety and then years later, high functioning spectrum, which high functioning spectrum may be more in line. Therapy, medication, parent coaching, lots and lots of support. Okay. So this mom, she has hit it from all the different angles. So she sounds like she's been digging in and doing the work. This mom that's responding. There are layers and layers both in her and you. You both will get through it. There will be ups and downs, good days and bad. This road is not to be traveled alone. Okay, this mom, this road is not to be traveled alone. Like that to me is the best line out of all of it. It's not, you know? And so knowing that there are other people who have traveled this road and also finding the resources that are actually going to help you to fix and solve it. I think that's the process. So then the, the original mom says, yes, we've tried pediatricians and therapists. She acted out a lot and they said, she seems like a handful. That was it. That's it. That was it. That was all the guidance the mom got. Another mom asks, what have you been doing at home since the specialists aren't giving you support? And how are you learning to know what to do to help your daughter. And so the original mom says, well, I've read the books, talked about using positive approaches, structure, and routine. The books didn't seem to explain why my child explodes three times a day at 11, 1, and 3 and has meltdowns. By 6 p.m., she's melting and ready for bed. It's draining. Okay, so she's reading the books and she's learning about structure and routine, but she can't understand why her child's having, like, it sounds like she's having 
pretty structured meltdowns at 11, 1, 3. And then it's all, it's all really gone to hell in a handbasket by 6 p.m. She's completely melted. So this is a child that's living in a lot of overwhelm. And it sounds like her nervous system is just completely dysregulated. But living with a child that's in that state, it's like you can be in your own blind spot where you just can't see what you can't see because you're too in it. This is where you really have to work with the right professionals and learn. It's like um, one of the moms in my program, she constantly says like, the best part about all of it, she says, is just when we've helped her just take the next right step, which is the next right step and the next right step. So it's like we can talk in these general ways of structure and routine, but when you're in the thick of it, you don't even know where to start. So it's like, where do we start in terms of structure? What's just the next right thing to do? We can't tackle it all at once. We got to just tackle one tiny area. And that one tiny area, you know, might be, you know, investigating why the first meltdown at 11 happens. And so we might restructure what's happening in the morning. What happens between waking up and 11? That might be the first place that we just look at and dig into what's going on during that time so that maybe we can figure out why that first meltdown is happening and then how to counteract it. Okay. Another mom asks about, oh, another mom asks, what's the trigger right before a meltdown? And so by the time the meltdown happens, you guys, the trigger right before it doesn't really matter. It's really what's happening from the time she wakes up until 11 a.m. You know, what are we doing? If it's, well, she's mostly on her screen because that's all she'll do, then it's not going to take a rocket scientist to figure that out that she's been on a tech bender since, you know, what is she eating for breakfast? Oh, she doesn't eat breakfast. She doesn't like breakfast. Well, by 11 o'clock, if she hasn't eaten breakfast, she's completely fuel depleted. So she probably, you know, has such low blood sugar that she just melts down at 11. So if she doesn't eat breakfast right when she wakes up, what about if she ate breakfast at 10 AM, you know? And well, when I ask her what she wants, she's always like, I'm good. I'm fine. I had eat to live, not live to eat kids. And it's like food just had to show up before them. And if you wait until they're spiraling downward, a lot of times they don't even recognize that it's hunger. So at 10 a.m., you know, and if you're like, oh, she has a power struggle over, you know, that would never work with my kid. If I just put food in front of her, she'd throw it across the, you know, if it's that bad. If it's that bad that your kid is getting diagnosed with, oppositional defiance disorder, it may be that bad. You put the food in front of them and they just splatter it all over the wall. So it might be knowing that at 10 a.m. you put two different options on the table or, you know, a little thing with some fruit and some some boxes of cereal and a bowl and some milk. And you say, hey, there's some food out on the table, you know, go pick what you want out of there. I figure you might be getting hungry right about now. No, I'm not. Okay, we'll just check in with your body and and see if anything looks good over there. I don't like any of those things. Okay, do you know what you do like? No. All right. Well, if you change your mind, it's right over there. Right? So it might just be at 10 a.m. providing that food, and when it's in front of them, and you're not trying to control, you just kind of put it out there and allow some choice. Before you know it, you've got a kid sitting down making themselves something to eat at 10 a.m. And so now they're not 
low blood sugar, and now we've offset that first meltdown. At Mastermind Parenting, we help families who have strong-willed kids with resources to improve skills rather than punishing kids for their strong wills. We have an incredible new free, free five-part video series that I want you to begin today. It's so good, you guys. It's called How to Set Limits Without Spanking Timeouts or Sticker Charts and What You Can Do Instead to Help Your Kids Learn New Skills So That They'll Begin to Feel and ultimately do better. Go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash spanking dash series. That's spanking dash series to get instant access. So, you know, I think a lot of times we're really trying to look at what is it? What set her off? But we're not really looking at what were all the hours beforehand that led up to this thing that was really just the straw that broke the camel's back. There's more to figure out. So the mom says, the original mom says, she says, it's literally the time of day. We could be out and the meltdown happens. She could be, so this mom is investigating a little bit. She could be with a friend and feel it. Everyone thinks I'm crazy, but then they are hanging out with us and they'll say, you're right. I've tried making sure she has food, rest, mom time, more expectations, less expectations, more structure or less during those times doesn't seem to make a difference. It's literally like watching your kid disappear and then she returns and the world is calm again. So this mom is actually doing a decent amount of investigation, but she's in overwhelm. So she needs the right person to help her really investigate and figure this out. My hunch here though is I've tried making sure she has food. I've tried making sure she has food. So what does that mean exactly? Does she get enough? Does she have a structured routine around food? I've tried making sure she has enough rest. Tried. Does she get the right amount of rest every day? Like what is her sleep hygiene? Most of us don't look at that, but even an hour of not enough sleep can be all the difference for a highly sensitive person. I mean, my husband's the same way. He's like, if he has an hour of not enough sleep. He requires a lot of sleep. It is the difference between like (laughs) him telling me, like everyone knows he didn't get enough sleep the other night. Everyone knows you can't, if you look at the light, it makes you not sneeze. Like he goes to that place and that's a hundred percent because he was just exhausted. Okay. Mom time. So she tries to make sure she's gotten that one-on-one connect time. We got to connect before we correct. I've tried, but like get really honest with yourself. And look, it can be hard to do. If you have a difficult child, it's not exactly like they're fun to hang out with. So having that five to 15 minutes of, you know, true, honest, what I call pet time, present engaged time, it can be hard to do. And it can literally pad your relationship bank account. So trying You know, this is a kid that really needs that consistency and that structure. So trying to make sure they have the right amount of food? No. I know my kid. They're never hungry first thing in the morning. When food shows up on the table or wherever they are, or I always have a little snack bar, or I start to see the warning signs and I just offer them a little bit of choice. And then before you know it, they're putting the food in their belly and blood sugar levels are back up. Rest. No matter what. 
this kid has to be in bed by this time, reading, going to sleep, and we have to have very strict rules about when the day starts. That present engaged time, yeah, it's really hard. If it's really hard to be with them, you take them with you to walk the dog. You make sure that when you're in the car, you're absolutely not on your phone, talking on your phone. Your phone is somewhere else and you use that time in the car, even just to like listen to a song together and be like, oh, I love this song. Or if you hear your kid loving a song, you're like, oh my God, this is such a good song. You bond with them over a song. You find whatever you can to connect. It doesn't have to be a big deal. Just meet them where they are. More expectations, less expectations, more structure or less during those times. It sounds like there's some inconsistency. Kids who are prone to lots and lots and lots of meltdowns, all it means is that they're like buzzing. So it's kind of like when you're on edge. And so what do we all crave as humans? We crave certainty. We crave certainty. So when it's like, well, I've tried more structure, less structure, blah, blah, blah. If there's just been inconsistency, when you change anything, of course, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But this is where I think really having the right professional to turn to and not just turning necessarily to other moms who are also dealing with the same situation without without knowing how to properly guide you. I mean, there's lots of parent groups besides mine that are facilitated, but like I would just say you definitely want to take part in something that is properly facilitated because when you just leave it up to being in a group, like a peer led group, you have to realize like when it comes to our kids, this is the most vulnerable thing for all of us. And so we're all a little insecure. Everyone wants to, everyone really wants to believe that they're getting it right. Every, we all fear screwing up our kids, all of us or everyone I've ever talked to. It's kind of like if you ever talk to somebody, like if you're looking for a new school for your kids and you're like, oh, your kids go to this school. What do you think about it? I mean, I would say 95% of the time people are like, oh my God, it's the best. It's great. And then you find out like a year later, that family pulled their kid out of the school. You're like, I thought you guys loved it so much. They're, they're like, yeah, well we did, but there were just some things. And they're like, well, thanks for telling me. Now my kid freaking goes there. So everybody wants to justify why the choices they're making are good ones because we all feel a little insecure about it. And so that's where I'm like, I feel like it's pretty, uh, it's tricky territory to be in these peer led groups because I think it can cause you to have so many different opinions that you're hearing and you're already in a state of overwhelm that it can cause you to feel even more overwhelmed. So I just want you guys to kind of consider that when you're looking for the right resources. Yeah. And I think this mom probably has been in these groups. And so she's tried this and she's tried that and she's tried that. And look, I've been there too. I, when my kids were younger, that's really how I came up with mastermind parenting. Cause I read every book under the sun and I tried this and I tried that. And I tried this and I tried that. And finally I realized I had to figure out what from this method I liked and what from this method I liked and what resource and what, you know, I pulled together all these different things. And that's why when I eventually created Mastermind Parenting, it was because I couldn't find the exact right resource. I couldn't find the exact right program. Like I liked this part from conscious parenting, but I liked this part from gentle parenting, but I actually sort of liked this part from some old school methods that 
didn't seem aligned with the conscious or the gentle parenting. And, um, and so I realized I was like, okay, I think I have to trademark my own method because I can't just direct people to this program that I thought was great or this book that I thought was great because I thought aspects of this book were great or aspects of this method were great, but I've kind of shifted it and made it all my own. And that's, that's the way I cook too. Like, God forbid I should ever just like follow a recipe. Like I always, I'm like, oh, but this thing sounded good from this other recipe and this thing sounded good from this recipe. And I'm just going to throw it together and, and make it my own. So it's like indecision is the worst. Indecision keeps you in inaction and inaction will never lead to you getting the results you want. It's like, I can't think of exactly what that Michael Jordan quote is, but I love it. And I, I should memorize it. I should commit it to memory because I reference it all the time, but he's like, you, here's a for sure thing. You will miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take. Right. And so you have to take the shot. doesn't mean you're going to make the shot, but if you take the shot, at least you up your chances for making the shot. So you have to take action. You just have to decide. So indecision will make sure it will solidify the result of missing every single shot. So just make a decision and figure out what method you want to follow, find your resources, and then do that. Because the most important thing, especially to a kid that is walking around in a chronic state of buzzing and being on edge and and being totally dysregulated in their body, they're basically in fight or flight. And it's a lot of stress hormones. It is not healthy. It is not healthy for their body. It is not how they function and they develop in the best way possible. This is not how they're going to develop and become their best selves because it's a whole lot of cortisol, stress hormones racing through their body. It, It literally leads to disease. So we have to figure this out. And the thing that is going to help them the most is consistency. So whatever method you choose, as long as you're consistent and it doesn't involve shame and blame and scaring the crap out of them. I mean, think about it. If you've got a kid in fight or flight the majority of the time and you scare the hell out of them, what do you do? What do you do? They may end up complying and doing what you want them to do because you're scaring them, but that's just basically them being in flight. They give up. They give up. And if you think that that lowers their cortisol levels. It doesn't. It doesn't. So they might comply with you. They might make your life easier, but it's certainly not making their life easier or better. So my tips are, I want you to play detective. Kids do well if they can. Dr. Ross Green, the explosive child. I love his work and I love his quote. If your kid is not doing well, Okay, rather than just slapping a label on them and, well, I guess we should just put them in the corner with a dunce cap. No, these are our kids. These are our precious gifts, our human four-leaf clover that we were given to raise and protect. We have to, we have to help them. So we have to play detective. We have to get curious about why they're not doing well. Where is the breakdown happening? What is the need? that they need to have met? What are the skills 
that they need more support in developing? How can we help their body get out of fight or flight? I want you to play detective, ask questions, um, curious questions. The second thing, I want you to communicate like a master negotiator. I want you to use a whole lot of empathy. I want you to learn how to use empathy in a practical, tangible way. Okay. So empathy is really, I just need you to state the obvious as much as possible. You're going to see your child's perspective. If your kid starts freaking out, you're going to say, you seem really upset. You wanted something different to happen. You, you seem really upset. You wanted something different to happen. How can I help? And if they're like, ah, freaking out, then you're like, I'll just be over here. You come get me. You come get me when you need me. And you, all you're going to do is continue to just see. And if they come, they're like, mom. And you're like, you're very upset. Your face is red. Your fists are clenched. You want me to know how upset you are. Something really upset you. That's it. You know, if you've got a kid in a meltdown, you just keep stating the obvious, what you see before. You don't have to like attach, you know, assign meaning to it. You don't lecture them. You don't try to offer tons of solutions. You just help them to understand that you see them. I see you and I see you and I see you. The reason why you're going to use that you're going to use empathy and you're going to communicate like a master negotiator is because empathy helps anyone in the lower centers of their brain, the fight or flight place, the place where you're in your emotional brain and you can't think clearly and your body feels like it's about to lose it at any moment or you already are losing it. Empathy moves you up to the higher centers of your brain. It moves you back to your thinking brain. And so the minute someone is sending you the message, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, you suddenly don't feel so alone. It helps you to feel safer. You can't even express it. There's nothing to figure out or solve in that moment. All you're doing is basically letting your child know, I see you and I see you and I see you and I see you. That's basically our way of saying you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. I got you. Like, I got you. I got you. I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. And, and it's a great way to kind of hold space for someone who is freaking out in their body. I mean, like this mom was such a good example because her child's like, I want to fix this. I don't know how. And so this is what I want to offer this mom. This is how. This is where you start. Okay, the last tip, research and resources. Find the right books, teachers, medical professionals, and first, do your part to affect change at home. Like these tips that I just said, this is what you can do. Even before you find the right experts, you become the expert on your child. And then you, you listen to, if you're in these parenting groups, you know, hopefully you go and you find one that's properly facilitated, but you maybe see the moms who seem like they're dealing with, with similar challenges, who like you like their personality and you kind of like, you know, maybe they're one or two steps ahead and you find out if they're in the same city as you, you find out what resources they've used. Where do they go to get their child evaluated? You see if you can maybe buy them some coffee or pick their brain and just hear a little bit about their experience. You learn from them. 
and the people who you can tell are not the people you want to be listening to, everything in your body saying like their life sounds terrible and I don't believe in that course of treatment, you tune those out. You tune those people out. You not go head to head. You don't try to convince them that your way is better and their way is wrong. Like they're entitled to do it their way. You don't waste your bandwidth on those people, right? And all those time-wasting activities. You put all of your effort and your energy on figuring out this situation and helping your child get to a better place. If your child has been diagnosed with ODD, I really hope that you take this episode to heart and you realize that your child is not a lost cause. Your child is an amazing human and they are begging for you to come forward, call yourself to more, and truly be the hero in helping your child get to a better place and realize they're an amazing human four-leaf clover. That's what I got for you this week. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you picked up some tips, tools, maybe some baby steps for creating more balance and boundaries in your life. And I just wanted to let you know, if you want to continue moving the needle forward in creating this for yourself, having a happier household, I want you to go to my website and check out mastermindparenting.com. We have three beginning programs. And if you need some accountability and more support, then please look for the one that would be a good fit for you. Um, And as always, we're on all the social channels under Mastermind Parenting. On Instagram, it's mastermind underscore parenting. Um, And, you know, periodically I do pop up on different Instagram lives, Facebook lives, where I give you teaching and coaching. And I love engaging with you live to help you help your strong-willed kids so that they can feel better because when they feel better, they do better. And um, I love, love, love getting to know you guys. So thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Super, super appreciative.